0: most of you know this, but this summer we're we're learning about the disciples. We're going through a series on them. And interestingly enough, um, there was a video I didn't get to use from the Holy Land that relates to the disciple we're talking about today. His name is Simon the Zealot. And so I wanted to show you this video taken from the Mount of Beatitudes and listen to the parts especially about the zealots and what they believed. Here we are on the Mount of Beatitudes, one of the sites where Jesus might have sat down and taught the crowds Um, To my left is a church that's been built. Back behind me you'll see cliffs, perhaps, um, that are where the Sicarii, the Zealots, would make their home. They would refuse to live in towns. They would bring their families to caves so that they wouldn't have to pay taxes to the oppressive Roman Empire. Um, They were known for almost terrorism, for killing people in crowds, and for tossing boulders down on tax collectors who sought to collect their taxes for Rome. And it was on this mountain with that in the background that Jesus taught about being people of peace, that we are blessed when we're persecuted, and that he said this, he said, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. One of the things that I have noticed in the Holy Land is how many people of how many different languages are at all of these holy sites. All of them here to because they are followers of Jesus who taught about peace and who um, called us to share his good news with the world in a loving way. Okay, now let's go to Luke's account. Matthew has the the really famous Sermon on the Mount, and then Luke has um, also a time when Jesus teaches on the mountain, and this is in Luke chapter 6. This is going to be the scripture for today. You can get it out. I'm going to reference it. So if you have your finger on it, I'll be coming back here. Luke chapter 6, and then starting in verse 12. One day, soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out for him, and he healed everyone. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in doomed time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So let's dig into this a little bit. If this is your first time to be here during one of the disciples' talks, and let me give you a little background. We're looking into the lives of these 12 disciples, and oftentimes we've seen them painted by one of the great Renaissance artists at the Last Supper, you know, perfect, with not a beard, hair, out of place. And as we've been digging into this, we've been seeing... I hope you've been seeing how ordinary these guys were. Um, And some of the names that they were called even give us a clue to this. Jesus called them slow learners, right? He did. He said, you guys are not the brightest bulbs in the drawer, right? They were not. Or is it the sharpest knife? I never get it. Anyway, (laughs) thank God ordinary people can be pastors, right? (laughs) Who don't know their metaphors. Jesus also said that they were spiritually dense. You know, you have little faith, how long am I going to be here? What did the religious leaders call them when, they, when Peter and John came before them? Do you remember that? You can say it in Greek or you can say it in English. Illiterate idiots, idioti. They said, here are some illiterate idiots. Oh, but they've been with Jesus, so there's something strange about them. When they came to town, the town leaders would often be threatened, and they'd call them rabble-rousers. They were certainly called hicks. We said they had an accent. Um, Peter was picked out by his accent. He had a hillbilly accent. Um, and some of the names that they were called actually make it into the official list, right? Don't you love that when history records your, your nickname? And so we have Peter who was called Rock, right? We wrote that name by Peter. That's the name Jesus gave him. And it, we talked about how he was strong and bold and then shapeable, Shapable by the great tecton. Jesus was a tecton. He was a builder. He would shape stones and wood and build things. And Peter was a rock that was shaped by Christ. What about Andrew? It was in this passage. I told you there's a name that trails Andrew around. Brother. He was the little brother. He was a kind, humble, in the sidelines, but always looking for people to introduce him to Christ. And so here in this list, even here, he's number two. And they're like, Andrew, yeah, you may not know him. He was Peter's brother. Oh, right, Peter's brother. So then we go down the list, James, John. These are fishermen that we're going through. And so you have to set the stage. Jesus has gone away. He's got all of these followers. And a lot of scholars think he didn't call his disciples until he was halfway through with his ministry. So he had a lot of disciples who had been called. Like we talked about Andrew come follow me. So he became part of a group. And then there's this day where Jesus goes up on a mountain, spends all night praying and says, "You 12 are going to be apostles. You're going to be sent ones, right? Messengers of this good news." So this is a special choosing. Maybe a couple maybe a couple years before he died, maybe as as few as 18 months before he died. And he comes down and who does he pick out of all these hundreds of followers who are following him around because we know he had probably over 100 well, he picks a couple of fishermen, and Matthew, what was his job? Tax collector. Was everybody really like, gay, he got an IRS agent. That's awesome. Like, what's going on? And then Thomas, okay, I've heard that guy struggles with doubts, you know, James. Um, Simon the Zealot, hold the phone? Like, y'all are like, Simon the Zealot, that's a nice religious name. He must have been passionate, zealous for the Lord, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Do you see now who a zealot was? Zealots are the guys hiding in caves because they won't pay taxes, dropping boulders on people who come to try to get them. Zealots were a political party. It was one of four major political parties of the day, and they were the crazy, radical political party. They came from that backwater, rebellious area of the country. You know the name of it, right? Galilee. Galilee. It, really, Galilee was known for the crazy rebellious ideas. And so they had been born, the Zealots, around 6 AD, a little bit before that actually, and it came to a head in 6 AD. So Judas, or Jesus was a little boy. And there was a man named Judas the Galilean who led a rebellion against Rome. And the main thing was what? Did you catch it there? Taxes. That was the main thing that Judas the Galilean was against because he was so fervent in his devotion that he said, if we are fully devoted to God, we will never pay taxes to the pagan Roman government. And to do so would be to compromise our faith. It would be to betray God if we pay taxes. So they led a revolt in Galilee, and Rome eventually came in and crushed it, obliterated it, the Zealot Party, because it was an uprising, and they grabbed their weapons, and they fought, and they lost And Rome came and took Judas the Galilean, who has no relation to the other Judases in here. It was just a popular name, right? Like Jennifer. There were a bazillion Jennifers in my age level. I'm sure you've got that. There's a name in your generation, whatever it is, that everybody's named that. Judas was one of those names. They come and get Judas the Galilean. They, you know, kill him, execute him. And then they crucify all of his sons. Because if you got on the bad side of Rome, that's what happened. Well... The interesting thing is then the zealot party went underground because they didn't have, their army was destroyed, but they still had some backing, a good amount of backing, but not enough to wage a campaign again. So what they did is they just got selective. And they were very militant, very violent. Many scholars say um, you could call them revolutionaries or you could call them terrorists. So what they would do is, um, you see this knife up here. This is um, the knife of one of the dagger men of the Zealots called the Sicari. Um, And this is the knife that they would carry. It was a curved blade. And what they would do is they would choose their targets. They would say, these people are high up in Roman authority. And if we can kill them um, and kind of make an example, we'll start terror in the society. And maybe we can undermine the Roman government. So what they would do is they would slip the knife into their robes, maybe in their arm or somewhere under here. They would see that high-level official, um, or they would see a Roman soldier who was high up, a commander or a Jewish person who they felt was too conciliatory towards Rome, like a tax collector. And they would try to kill the person in public, but secretly. The Sicarii would sneak up behind them, slip the dagger out of their robes and slip the knife into their back between the ribs and into their heart and kill them the person would drop dead usually in a courtyard a marketplace somewhere like that people would begin to be screaming because suddenly there's somebody dead and in the hubbub that followed the zealot Sicari would slip back to the Galilee area hide out and pick their next target Jesus came down from a mountain to pray He prayed all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples. He chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot. Whoa. That's some challenging stuff right there. There's a zealot. Why would Jesus ever pick a zealot? Josephus said of them. Have you all heard of the historian Josephus? He was... Um, In that time, he said, as the name zealot is a misnomer, he says, this is his quote, as if they were zealous in good undertakings instead of zealous in the worst actions and extravagant in them beyond the example of others. Josephus says these zealots in Israel are extravagant in doing bad things. And Jesus picked one. That's challenging. That's challenging for me. That should be challenging for you, and it should be really comforting, too. So let's get to not just why Jesus picked a zealot or what happened to him, but why would a zealot follow Jesus? I mean, Judas the the Galilean, right? The guy who was martyred, that was their leader. Why would a zealot follow our Lord? He wanted to overthrow Rome, the zealot. Why would he follow Jesus? Have y'all ever heard the saying, gentle Jesus, meek and mild? No? It's a saying I grew up with. And this is a lot like a picture of Jesus um, that I grew up with. And there's some things I love about this picture of Jesus and some things that I'm just like, no. I mean, in my old church, we had a picture. In fact, Amber might have used it of Jesus like this with not not a beard, hair, out of place, you know, perfect. And it had a light behind it so that it actually would, like, glow, right? Okay. Do you think a zealot would ever follow someone who wasn't strong? This is a problem I have. This is what I think this depiction of Jesus leaves off, is that Jesus was strong, friends. He was really strong. Physically, he had to have been strong. He had muscles. He was, what was his job? Tecton builder, right? Have you ever seen anybody working in construction who is a wimp? Strong people work in construction. Jesus shaped stones. He put beams into place in houses. He was physically very strong. He was also of Middle Eastern descent. Right? He was Jewish. He was not blonde. That's a side point, but I just want you to know Jesus wasn't blonde, okay? <laughs> just want you to know that. It's okay for every culture to have their own vision of Jesus. That's okay. I love that because he comes to us um, as he meets us where we are. But he was born in Israel. He was Middle Eastern, okay? A zealot wanted to be his follower. That means he had to see power in Jesus that was greater than any power he'd ever seen by any knife-wielding person before. Jesus was powerful. What was the power Simon the zealot saw in Jesus? Well, he was going to see Jesus command the waves and the wind. At a word, they stop silence. He had heard Jesus teach. And when he taught, even the religious leaders said, I've never heard anybody teach like this. He had power when he spoke. He had power when sick people came to him. They were broken. They were limping. He could set it right. Something that had been broken since birth, his hand could heal. When evil spirits came and they would throw a person into convulsions or into the fire or whatever, at a word, Jesus could stop it. He could say, now peace, be still, come out, and the spirit would leave. Simon had never seen anyone as powerful as Jesus. And yet, Jesus wasn't just power and strength, was he? Because right after he had taught everyone and challenged everyone deeply, do you realize that so many times Jesus said something challenging that people walked away because it was just too hard to stay and understand or to sacrifice that much or to follow when I had to give up this? Simon was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to follow. He was willing to do whatever it took. Zealots did that. They didn't care if it meant they had to sacrifice their lives, if it meant they had to sacrifice their children. They would do it. Now, here's the challenge. Right after Jesus had said challenging things, had calmed the ocean, then he would open his arms up and a little kid would run in. And he'd hug him. Then he would say things like he did here. Simon was used to, man, hate Rome, hate him, hate him, hate him. They're your enemy. And what does Jesus say? What a blessing when people hate you and exclude you. Be happy. Be joyful. There's something greater. Jesus would say, instead of hate your enemies, duh, he would say, love your enemies. So Simon saw in him this great power, but power that was used in compassion and mercy and pulling people in instead of excluding them. Simon was used to excluding people. He was for Israel. He was a nationalist. Get away, Rome. Get away anybody else who's polluting our country. And here Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. All good Jewish people went around Samaria. Jesus goes through it and engages a woman who has five husbands, has had them, and says, there's a place in the kingdom for you. Little children, there's a place in the kingdom for you. Tax collector, there's a place at my table for you. So Simon the zealot is attracted to Jesus, I'm certain, because he's so powerful. And then he has to see how that power is used. Imagine how Simon the zealot felt the night Jesus knelt down and washed his feet. And said, if you are going to have power, this is how it's going to come out. In service and love. So what can we learn um, from Simon the Zealot. First of all, our our, cha- our challenge would be to reimagine Jesus a little bit, see him as strong as he really was. Now, here's the thing that Simon reminds me. There's three things. First of all, if Jesus could call Simon, and y'all, I don't know what his past was, if he had ever pushed a boulder down on a tax collector, if he had been one of the security with the knives, certainly he supported that. He was a part of that. So he was at least complicit In those actions. If Jesus calls Simon, knowing his past, writing it in the Bible, Simon was a zealot, then he wants you to. It doesn't matter how black your past is, it doesn't matter what you've done. You are welcome. You are invited to be a follower of Christ. I want you to know you are welcome. And if you ever doubt that, I want you to read the list of disciples and go, Simon the Zealot. And if Jesus wanted him, then Jesus wants me too. The next thing. Just like Simon challenges our view of Jesus, helps us see how strong he was, so too would Jesus have deeply challenged Simon. Right? He's not just challenging the people he's talking to. He's challenging these disciples. He's transforming them. We've seen that with Peter We've seen that with Andrew. We're going to see that with Simon where he ends up. So Simon's agenda, which was Israel on top, had to take a back seat to Jesus' agenda. When you become a follower of Christ, your agenda has to take a back seat to God's agenda in your life. And so the way I see this so clearly is that Jesus says, I'm going to come down, I'm going to call these disciples, and almost right together, Simon is called... And Matthew is called. And Jesus is saying, you are the new leaders. You are now brothers in this movement. You are my disciples who will change the world. Oh, and by the way, your new partner is a tax collector. And tax collector, your new partner is a zealot. (laughs) Have fun with that. (laughs) You're not going to be killing each other anymore because there is a higher allegiance And you're going to have to learn how to love each other. And so when Jesus says love one another, man, that process got going in his followers. He was working that out every day as you have a zealot and a tax collector. Eating meals together, walking together, traveling together, making decisions together, learning together. Your agenda has to be second. Simon would have heard Sermon on the Mount. He's called, right? Woo, we're going to change the world. And then Jesus starts saying, and I can see him saying, you know, when Simon says, "Uh, blessed are the poor. Simon's like, yep, 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 yep. Kingdom of God. Yeah, kingdom of God. God blesses those who are hungry. Yeah, power to the people. God blesses you who weep. You will laugh. Okay, let's hear it. Rome's going down. And then Jesus is like, what a blessing when people hate you. Leap for joy. Because that's how they've treated all the prophets. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he says, When people hate you, you love them. When they hit you, you turn the other cheek. That's radical for Simon's heart. To drop his knife and pick up the good news that says, this is really, our savior, our Jewish savior is not just to put Israel back on top. He's for everyone. He wants to be for everyone. Not just my people, but for the world. And so, first thing, you are welcome. Second thing, man, be challenged. If, if you haven't been challenged by God lately, start listening more. Because there are parts of your life and there are parts of my life that do not fit into the kingdom. Parts of my agenda that have nothing to do with God's agenda and parts of your agenda that have nothing to do with God's. And so part of being God's follower is not only saying I'm loved by the Lord, I'm perfected in that love, but I will allow Christ to challenge me, to change me, to confront me, not to make me feel terrible, but so that I can grow, so that I can be more than what I am today. So you have to be confronted. I had seminary professors, Kev, I bet you remember this, that they would say if you are not being offended by the Bible, you're not really reading it all of us were like, remember that? We are like, we love the Bible. <laughs> I, lo- I love the Bible, right? And the professor would be like, you need to read it. Because if you're really reading it, it will challenge you to your core. Yes, it will affirm you, but it will challenge you. Allow yourself to be challenged by the word of God like Simon was. Here's the final thing. Um, finally, following Jesus means being in a community with other people. And don't, have you ever wished that everyone in the world was as smart as you were and thought just like you did, right? It would be so much easier if everyone was like you, wouldn't it? And we're not all like you. We think differently and we behave differently. And, and so too in Jesus' first community, Jesus didn't say, you know, I'm going to get 12 zealots or 12 fishermen or 12 tax collectors. He got this group group. Some knew each other and some didn't. Most were from Galilee. There was one that wasn't. There's all these different varieties. And then he said, and this is what the new community will be based on. All of you coming together in my name. So let's just think about how we're different, all of us, today. Um, raise your hand if you were actually, like, raised here in Spicewood. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. raised here in Spicewood Okay, raise your hand if you weren't and they still accept us right <laughs> we got here as soon as we could imagine if like Simon they had said you know what those five people who raised their hands they can stay everybody else has got to go um, we vote differently don't raise your hands I know how you shake out, though, because I know. Um, some of you vote Republican, and you're passionate about it. And some of you vote Democrat, and you're passionate about it. And if Ronnie were here, he'd tell you he votes Libertarian, and he's passionate about it. <laughs> and friends, well, however you vote, that's important. Let's be active in the political process. But I have something that is more important. Jesus Christ. And no matter how you voted in the last election or how you're going to vote in the next election, when we come here, there is something greater than all of our political differences. And that is the God who calls all of us, who loves all of us, who values our differences. It doesn't matter if you drive a nice car or a bad car. The square footage of your home, all of those differences fade away when you say you can lay hands On this, we love Jesus Christ. And all of us can stack hands on that. No matter where we're coming from, no matter where we were born, no matter how we vote, no matter what kind of car we drive, we're going to lay hands on this. We love Jesus Christ. We are being changed by him. And as a community, like I said in that thing, we are called to be a light to the world. And what better light is there than people who are different, who can put aside those differences and say there's something greater And that's Jesus Christ. And so no matter any of that, Jesus is our uniting factor. And so we love each other and we belong to each other and we're in community together. And a tax collector and a zealot are brothers, are disciples, are part of the family and so are we. This is what happened to Simon. This is how I know he was changed. Simon the zealot, um, his strength was tempered as Jesus would have wanted with mercy and compassion. And he became... The apostle to Persia is Persia in Israel. He left his beloved homeland, and he traveled to people who spoke a different language. Um, Persia is in modern-day Iran, is in Persia. And he went to those people, and he told them about Christ. And many people believed, and the church was started there. And because he was a rabble-rouser, he was killed. He was martyred for his faith. Simon the Zealot. Who was willing to die because he hated Rome. When he met Jesus, it changed him. And he didn't die because he hated Rome, he died because he loved Jesus so much. And he couldn't wait to share that good news with as many people as he could. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you so much that you called such a diverse group of people to your side. Um, It helps us to realize that we have a place and that not everyone needs to be like us and that we don't need to be like everyone. And I thank you for Simon, for what we can learn from him, that he allowed himself to be shaped by you, Lord, to be changed, um, to be strengthened, and to have that strength tempered with passion. And I pray, Lord, that we could be the same that you would shape us, that you would transform us. Love us, Lord. We need your love. And challenge us because we need to hear that too. And most of all, help us to be what Jesus asked of those first followers, that we, this little church on the hill, could be a light in the darkness, could help people still hear the good news, hear the good word, that they are welcome at your side, that you are waiting. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.